0: This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trek Expert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up the Center Seat 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. Welcome to Best TV Never Made, where we look at interesting and infamous television pilots and projects that never made it to your television screen. I'm your host, Peter Elmstrom, and with me as always is my good friend and soon to be yours, Ryan Matsunaga. Hey, Ryan.
1: Hello, hello. Good to be back. It's really good to be back. I I guess uh, for listeners, it'll be completely invisible, but uh, we've taken a a healthy, healthy vacation, so it's uh, it's really nice to be back in the recording studio and really good to be uh, in front of the mics again. Uh, and I just want to say, without without spoiling your introduction, Peter, this is uh, I know I, I feel like I say this every single episode, but I am so excited for this particular episode. I'm a big fan of both of the things we're going to be talking about and the way they're smashed together. H- huge, huge, just like almost foundational memories for me in terms of some of the comic books I grew up on, in terms of some of the stuff I grew up on. So super, super excited to be uh, digging into this one.
0: Same here, and Today we are going to be talking about a, a, a produced uh, TV show, Uh, for Alien versus Predator that has just never made it to your television screen. On today's show, we have as guests um, two of the principal uh, creatives behind the scenes of that show, um, Eric Calderon and Dave Baker. How are you guys doing today? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's such a thrill to have you guys on here. This was a project that... um, virtually nobody knew about like oftentimes on this show we we get a lead to a story through like uh leaked script or like an announcement for a show that never got never got aired this was almost completely um uh in the dark for all the fans out there until a few months back uh uh Producer Jeff uh, Izzo, I believe his name is, uh, did Joshua a Izzo. Joshua Izzo, excuse me, Joshua Izzo did a podcast interview um, where he talked about this show and said like there was ten episodes of a uh, Alien vs Predator anime that was uh, complete and just hiding out in a vault somewhere. But uh, so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, but before we get into it, I'd love to hear from uh, both of you guys a bit of your own backstory, like where you guys come from, how how did you get into the industry, and and uh, yeah. Dave, you're up. Go first. Oh, okay. Uh, my name is Dave
2: Baker. I'm a writer and illustrator. Uh, I make comics and uh, work in all kinds of different mediums. Uh, I wrote a movie that's on Netflix currently called Alien Warfare. And uh, my books, Forest Hills Bootleg Society, uh, was, was published by Simon Schuster uh, in September and just came out in France, uh, the French edition, which I'm very excited about, uh, through, through the publisher Savacan. And then I've also had books from Dark Horse uh, come out. Everyone is Tulip, which got nominated for Eisner. And I was a writer on Star Trek, uh, Voyager, the, the Voyager era comics and Star Trek Waypoint. Um, yeah, I've made a bunch of comics and worked on or I wrote an episode of Ben 10, baby. So I'm out here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, what do you got? You got an assignment? You got a thing? I'll do a thing. Let's party. Let's party. You know, I'm just out here. And I met Eric at a Dia de los Muertos uh, celebration at... Uh, at
3: Hollywood Cemetery,
2: Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and he was dressed as uh, Tetsuo from Akira, and I went up and took a ph- photo with him, and I was like, this guy, I will be <laughs> friends with this guy, and uh, we've been friends ever since, and worked on a bunch of stuff together, and he's a solid, he's a mensch, Peter, he's a mench he's what they call a mensch.
3: <laughs>
0: Amazing. Eric, let's hear it. Where where do you come from? What's your story? Sure.
3: So uh, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a two time offender cosplayer. So uh, I did um, Tetsuo from Akira, which is how I met Dave Baker, and I'm also uh, pseudo infamously known as one of the early Hayao Miyazaki cosplayers. So I will say that if you Google <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki cosplay, I'm one of the first things that come up. And someone made a gif about me that said. Uh, it was me saying uh, anime was a mistake, which was a <laughs> quote from the documentary. So that's probably the most famous thing I've done. So I've been um, in the animation and entertainment industry for about 30 years. I've been mostly in animation and development. I started off as a, a buyer and development exec uh, at MTV in the 90s, where I did about uh, 60 pilots and put about 14 TV series on the air. Wow! I uh, then worked in Japan for about eight years, uh, working with Studio Gonzo. So. It was there that I uh, developed, produced, and co-wrote Afro Samurai with Samuel L. Jackson and the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. That was the first anime to ever win an Emmy for um, best art direction from an individual artist. So from there, I went from production company to production company, job to job. I was a showrunner on uh, Two Transformers animated cycle. And then, um, you know, currently I work at a place in Orlando, Florida called Falcons Beyond and we just actually launched our own fully-owned and operated theme park. We fully own the IP, and I'm now working with that IP, expanding into TV, merchandise, gaming, etc. So, you know, I'm kind of a a development guy at my core. And, you know, after meeting Dave uh, cosplaying at Hollywood Cemetery, our... Our next hot date was to actually help uh, pack up one of my apartments and uh, <laughs> yes. move, because that's yeah. that's what bros do. Wow. They call yeah, each yeah. other to help move.
2: I was like, "Hey, you need you need help moving? All right, I'll help you move. I don't give a, I don't give if a I shit." If I could
3: retell the story, <laughs> yeah. I was you're like, "Let's hang out." I'm like, "I can't, cause I have to move today," and you're like, "I'm on the way over."
2: Yeah, you he literally <laughs> helped me
3: pack boxes. And, and then we and he's and like, "You spent- read?" He's like, "Why are you reading this crap? This is terrible." <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was like shoving things in boxes. Cause you like, you like had a truck coming later that day or something. And like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you were not prepared. And I was just like, bro, we got to do this. Let's let's just put (laughs) some stuff in. Like, come on, let's go. And then in the middle of the day, you were like, I'm hungry. You want to get sushi? And I'm like, bro, there's still all this stuff to move. And you're like, yeah, but let's get sushi. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to complain. Let's go. All right. Let's do it.
3: So as Dave has hinted, I don't work very hard.
2: It's no, so, no, uh, that is not at all actually. true. No. Nobody nobody so, yeah, in I this know. town works harder than Eric. <laughs> Eric that, is a yeah. stalwart, driven <laughs> individual, but also he loves sushi, as he should. I it's do. delicious. It's and true, we went yeah. and had sushi. And I believe we talked about like uh we talked about Batman comics, like the whole mm-hmm. time when we were eating mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. eating sushi. So, you know, it was yeah. a good time. It was great. I loved yeah. it.
3: And s- I mean, so where, where Dave and I always found this great combination is like animation and comics is kind of like a parallel industry. And in some countries like Japan, they're really one and the same, but some some place like the West or in America, they kind of sit beside each other and have these occasional crosses over, uh, but it's not that clear of a path that one relates to the other. So we're always kind of talking about like comics and animation and comics and animation. We both love both. And so, you know, if, if you don't mind the transition, whenever... Uh, I was approached by Fox to, you know, produce uh, a Japanese anime based on this incredible franchise. The first thing they said is we want to adapt the original Dark Horse run. Mm, yeah. And so, like, I had to call the guy who knew the most about that subject matter. So Dave was like the first guy I called. That's awesome. I'm like a,
2: awesome. I'm like a huge fan. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I love all the Alien movies and Predator movies, but also specifically, I'm a huge. Randy Stradley fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Chris Warner fan. I, you know, I love that early era Dark Horse presents. Yeah. Obviously, I've worked with Dark Horse. They published Everyone's Tulip, and uh, they have such an amazing pedigree of creator ownership, which is something I'm really passionate about. From Sin City to Hard Boiled, uh, to you know, all these modern, amazing modern books that they're putting out now. Like, and when initially Eric was like, they're doing, they want to do an uh, animated avp thing i was like you know rocking back and forth in the corner being like oh god please don't let them fuck this up oh god oh god oh god (laughs) and then eric was like actually i think they're interested in doing the comics and i was like what does that mean eric eric what does that mean (laughs) and they were like well they're talking about doing the original miniseries and i was like the randy stradley stuff hell yes baby
3: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. and uh yeah i don't know i'll now i'll give you a chance to off uh offer up a question otherwise eric and i will just ping pong (laughs) back and forth at each other for an hour
1: this is amazing i love the comics love in here it's uh i grew (laughs) up on those dark horse books i have a couple of collections uh, oh wow great box set over uh over there and not to blow up your spot eric but i do appreciate that your bio seemingly very pointedly uh uh, did not mention the one point of shared dna we have which you you got a a boom book in your portfolio i do fantastic uh Cold Space,
3: yeah, I have Cold Space, and that you know, following Afro Samurai, Ross Richie and I kind of sat and uh, wanted to do a book together. And and to give you the one, (laughs) the one sentence on that, um, after we got the Emmy, and and Ross said, "Hey, Eric, I'll give you a shot in a book." I called Sam Jackson and said, "Hey, uh, I want to do a comic with you." And he's like, "What is it?" I'm like, "It's like Black Han Solo," and he was like, "Yeah, sure." And that was the whole deal.
0: (laughs) So that became Cold Space about uh about a year later amazing cool so cool (laughs) um i guess you know i mean i i kind of wanted to do a bit of a historical rundown of both franchises Mm. i know these two franchises are huge and most of our listeners are probably very very familiar with it but on the off chance someone has listened to it and have no idea what we're talking about (laughs) but uh, give it a give it a quick little rundown here um so the uh, the first Alien movie comes out on on May twenty fifth, uh, nineteen seventy nine, directed by Ridley Scott, with the screenplay by Dan O'Bannon and Robert uh, Um It tells a futuristic story of a crew of a cargo ship being hunted by an alien creature who would later be known as a Xenomorph, the ultimate killing machine. Uh, this movie was a huge hit for Fox. It earned one hundred eighty four point seven million against a eleven million dollar budget. Um, despite that film's success, though, it took another seven years for a sequel to come out. Um, this being put down to a big regime change going on at Fox and the new studio executives uh, claiming that the first film was actually a flop, uh, despite the fact that it earned over 15 times its budget. Um, the sequel, Aliens, would eventually be more modestly budgeted film, uh, directed by and written by James Cameron, um, yet. When you look at it, you feel like this is actually a, a bigger and more bombastic film. It turned into uh, turned what had been a serial killer in a house type story with the first film into an all-out action horror film with the sequel. Uh, this film was a cultural and critical success, earning $183, point, 183 million against an $18 million budget. And it was clear that a franchise was born. Uh, Then we shift over and a a year later, um, Predator comes out starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and directed by uh, John McTiernan. Uh, This is the story of a military team in South America being hunted by a crash landed alien, the ultimate hunter uh, known as the Predator. Uh, This film would also be a big success uh, earning nearly $100 million against a $17 million budget. Um, In the late 1980s, Dark Horse Comics had the rights to publish both franchises, and during a uh, story conference, Chris Warner suggested the idea of a versus title. Um, This was initially a one-off, but soon turned into an ongoing series written by Randy Stradley, as we mentioned previously, and then eventually it was spawned off onto a bunch of other different story arcs and and stories. Uh, This was a huge hit, um, not just for Dark Horse, but for others as well. It spawned into a whole series of novels, uh, merchandise, and even a few video games. Uh, The Super Nintendo game and PC games are fantastic. Um, And then it became solidified, too, with a fun little Easter egg in Predator 2, where we see the inside of a Predator ship and a xenomorph skull is seen uh, in the background, uh, giving fans hope that maybe an Alien vs. Predator movie was on the horizon. Um, Throughout the 90s, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection came out to dwindling and modest reception. Um, But both Alien and Predator franchises had such a big merchandising and auxiliary market that it was clear there was still a lot of life in these franchises. Um, 2004, Paul W.S. Anderson writes and directs a feature film of Alien vs. Predator, an original story not based on the comics or the novels. Uh, This movie did well, but not super well, um, leading to a sequel three years later that was more modestly budgeted and was received to a pretty poor reception at the box office. Um, So Fox elected not to move forward with a third Alien vs. Predator, Um, and instead uh, reinvest in the respective individual franchises and produced uh, Predators uh, in 2010, Prometheus and its sequel Alien Covenant in 2012 and 2017. And then finally, The Predator in 2018 and Prey uh, last year. Um, so that's kind of the quick rundown of these two franchises. Um, so I guess the question, first of all, for both of you guys was when did this whole conversation of doing like Halen versus Predator uh, anime first kind of begin? Like, where were we in the yeah. timeline? <clears throat> yeah. So, um, you know, I had known
3: Josh Izzo through uh, various connections, and I think we're post-Covenant. Was that correct, Dave? Or, no. or Prometheus pre-Covenant? hmm Right. So we we're post Prometheus, pre-covenant, and there was this window of opportunity that Joshua saw. So he saw that you know there was a predator, another predator coming out. There were these two alien movies. We we're in the dip in between, um, and that both franchises were very, very difficult to access any merchandise and licensing program because of all the you know complications of the chain of title and the approval of the original creators. So Josh, being entrepreneurial. So what about AVP? And he just found that no one had laid claim to it. It was really the stepheaded, you know, stepchild of the two franchises. Neither major stakeholder could say anything uh, of of any real import. And as long as we didn't involve them creatively or producerially, we could almost blank slate do whatever we want because the AVP title was really mostly controlled by Fox Consumer Products, which is where. Which is where Josh was sat. Hmm. So he had the epiphany, you know, following my success on Afro Samurai, calling me and saying, hey, why don't we, you know, think about this as an anime? And he started making all these inroads and telephone calls and and, uh, contacted me. And, uh, you know, I had heard that he had a production partner who could possibly do the animation. He had a director whose work I was familiar with, who also had a history in franchise adaptations from the West. And I thought, okay, this is this is a great shot. So he offered me a producerial and uh, creative kind of director and, and writer role on it. So I, I took the gig, and and like I said, the first person I called was Dave because you know Josh was interested in adapting the comic. So that was really the inception of the gig.
2: Yeah, one of the things that Josh talked about, or at least this is my memory. We're going back a little ways, guys. <laughs> this <laughs> is like
3: twelve years ago. Yeah.
2: But but one of the things that I remember Josh saying was kind of um, Shadows of the Empire, the movie without a movie strategy that Lucasfilm yes. used, where they they kind of, you know, they, they, they needed an anchor point to launch a bunch of merch and games and stuff around. Uh, so Lucasfilm, if anybody doesn't know, they basically made their own not movie where they had a novelization, a comic, and a video game all telling pieces of the same story about a definitely not Han Solo running around doing some stuff fighting a villain. And so that was kind of not that he said like you guys have to do like shadows of the empire, but like just in our informal conversations, it was a lot of like, how do we galvanize the brand? How do we get people excited? How do we tell a story that's engaging, but isn't going to cause the higher ups to like look over our shoulder and go, what's going on over here, guys. Mm, Um, So, you know, for his, that was kind of his, what his brain was at was like movie without a movie, except in this case, it literally was a movie. (laughs) And then, you know, for Eric and I, I think we were both very excited about the fact that – or at least I won't even – you know what? I won't even speak for Big Daddy Calderon. You you know what? I'm just going to speak for me. I know for me, I was very excited about the fact that I love – not only do I love Alien and Predator, but I love the franchise Alien versus Predator. And I want to love those movies. Yeah. I yeah. want so badly to just throw myself into the fun of no matter – Who wins we lose (laughs) and they just I for me it never quite lands in the way that I want it to there's moments in both films that I absolutely adore and then there's elements of each film that I absolutely could leave just (laughs) alone Um, and so when we first started talking about it you know we were talking about you know okay how does this actually I think it was Eric's idea initially to be like okay we'll have ten episodes It'll get animated overseas as a TV show, but we'll purposefully build into it three to four episode arcs and those will get cut up into direct to DVD movies over here. Yeah, that's basically. Yeah, yeah. we're making a trilogy like what is the trilogy?
3: Yep. And let me chime in on that because I think, you know, Dave took the creative reins on that part of the conversation. But I, I was thinking as a producer and I was helping the distributor get the best product they could. And I said we could do multiple SKUs if we do 10 half hours but also sell each individual as a movie. And you know, this was the Fox Home Video department and home video was still a really meaningful part of the conversation. And so I got excited, you know, as a as a business creative person to say, here's a here's a way we can slice through the red tape, get an original product out, have the east and west be the marketing conceit, have the franchise there, but have a TV series and three films at the same time. So we were just like, "Pew pew, pew this could be everything we want in one place." Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and it honestly, it also fits pretty well, too, with the established, that first kind of couple years of AVP comics, you know? Like, my memory, again, this is going back a ways, but my memory <laughs> is that the first three episodes were Randy Stradley and Chris Warner's AVP comic. Wow. The the next three or four was the second arc, War, the miniseries, which is my personal favorite, where Machiko, oh, that I guess we should say that, it's, the story, it's Machiko's story. We're doing a trilogy of films that's Machiko's story. Okay,
0: so um, these are all like direct—not maybe not direct—but they're all y- you're looking at the original Dark Horse comic from the 1990s. I would say I think it's
3: Machiko. I think it's Machiko, but
0: Machiko. is it Machiko?
2: Well. I've never heard I anybody think the say that. pronunciation it. Always... is Machiko. Is it, this <laughs> is the yaucha Yaucha <laughs> yeah. conversation. Yeah. I always yeah. say Yaucha <laughs> or it's like Kobayashi Maru
3: is actually yeah, you know, Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, you know, the the first my memory is that our first 3 episodes was a very loose adaptation. Like I don't think we had the purple rhinos in there. Um, oh my god. Come I don't on. remember. I don't <laughs> yeah. remember
3: the purple rhinos.
2: I don't I don't think I don't smart.
0: Think we Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we did the purple rhinos.
2: But we did the basic idea of like it's a farmer on an alien world, aliens an alien infestation breaks out and a predator comes and she befriends the predator. They have to team up against the aliens on this farming world. Um, But I think we had positioned it more a little bit kind of like a gritty, almost like minor or oil town kind of Mm. deal as opposed to more, you know, kind of idyllic farming thing, which is how it is in the comics. Right. And then uh, the middle three or four, whatever that is, uh, was a pretty somewhat faithful adaptation of war where it was her living with the predators doing everything that happens in that arc. And then the last chunk, the last trilogy uh, of episodes or four episodes or whatever it is. Was a was a new a new ending place that we had made for her. Um, okay. Does that, that does that match the, up with your memory? It is, or? but
3: the part I I seem to remember more was this epic character aging over multiple episodes. That begins as like a young woman, then in the set in the middle becomes like a sergeant, and the end is kind of this general. And there's this massive machinations of armies going back and forth. And I just remember, mm. I'm not sure who the pitch came from or what it was adapted from, but just thinking in my head, we'll never be able to animate this, like not by a long shot. <laughs> was that part of this part one epic of this? I mean, the, when did that come to the conversation?
2: I think that was, a, I think that was after, cause we wrote an outline that was more or less what you're pitching, except instead of ending with her being a general, it was like ending with her starting the journey to become a general. And then I think one of the executives that was at Fox was like, "Guys, we should increase the scope." That's my memory.
3: Right, right. And they wanted, yeah, okay, I do kind of remember. Yeah, you know, and... I want to interject here, which is interesting. You know, Peter and Ryan is that the team at the U.S. side was 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 kind of a mishmash of people who had never done anything related to this at all. Hmm. So you no, know, Josh was really from the consumer product side, so he saw a window into the rights. Um, the, the other executive was actually much more of a home video distribution guy hmm. so he really was more about um, you know running the numbers of you know how many units he could sell against the cost against the franchise payment you know so I mean, he was probably doing like half a dozen direct-to DVD movies a year hmm. you know and then the other guy was almost like from the live-action production management world where he would really no locations and no shoots and he'd be like my memory is like you give the guy a five million dollar shooting budget, and you know, he goes off to Aruba and he comes back, you know, five months later with with reels of film completed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's not the director or the writer or the producer. Yeah. He's just like the guy on the ground. Yeah. So like it's he... really weird, you know, and then when they were like, um <laughs> this is our ongoing joke too, is that when Japan came on board, it was shocking to me their opinion of how to work with the Japanese. I mean, it was it was really like out of the fifties and sixties. <laughs> Yeah, You know, it was really, I mean, it was almost like this, and I hate to start the trash trade, but it's like, you know, in Japan, they come from a place where, uh, you know, honor is really valuable. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? You know, I mean, it's really, I know Japan. And I'm like, dude, you sound like my grandpa. Literally,
2: literally, there was a conversation where we were all sitting in a circle in one of the offices and the specific exec that. Eric is referencing said, I'm a big student of World War Two. I watch a lot of History Channel and they're really (laughs) into honor over there. (laughs) (laughs) That was exactly the quote. Oh, my God.
3: God. So we were like, uh, you know, and I've worked in Japan for eight years. No, I'm mildly conversant. I've I spent a year on the ground and and I, I don't think I'm an expert. I think I you know know some things and definitely don't know a bunch of other things, but to hear this guy It was rough That
0: that,
2: that sounds it was, rough. It, was, it was really interesting navigating some of the Personalities because everybody it was I've been on projects where everybody hasn't had the best of intentions mm-hmm. uh, But I would say that everybody had good intentions. They just manifested in very interesting ways uh, Yeah which was really, I mean, at the time, it was a little probably more frustrating than it is now. Now I look back and go, oh, isn't that quaint? Isn't that so
0: nice? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess you're both alluding to my question that I'm about to ask, but I'd love to, uh, to expand on it a bit more. But, like, the the process of pitching this, this show and kind of getting the initial outlines, like, firmed up, you know, it's... Uh, a lot of us would imagine like like a big franchise like this, like there'd just be so much oversight, and you'd have so many red tape to loop through or whatever. and it's like, well, what, what what was that process like for for this project?
3: Holy shit, this can I take the part of this game? as like we had no idea that they weren't asking anyone else about it.
0: Oh, wow. It was just like these
3: two dudes, you know, maybe three. Wow. they were just they' were just like, yeah, man, bro. and we were just like showing up at Fox, going into like some side consumer products office, you know scripts in hand talking to people who don't have any experience developing scripts you know oh wow. watching them through fumble through printouts and trying to like <laughs> collate pages and oh yeah it was pretty good i don't know that part there i mean i might have written it differently and we we're like what I-? and they would just we would just kind of force feed it if my memory is correct david they we would just kind of force feed it down their throats until they I mean,
2: agree to, to to the point where like this is kind of what i mean where it's like they had a even when they didn't know they had good intentions because like we, I remember one time, one of my big things and still I can't believe it's almost 12 years later. And this still hasn't happened that nobody's said the fucking word "yaucha" in a movie. Like it, <laughs> yeah, it drives me right. insane. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Like it shouldn't yeah. be this hard guys.
3: Yeah. yeah and
2: yeah, yeah. I remember us talking about that in one of the early meetings and one of the executives being like, mm, we definitely shouldn't do that. That no, that nobody wants that. That's too inside baseball. And then like, Three meetings later, we go in, and he has the novelization of the Randy Stradley book on his desk, and he's been reading it. And he basically, I don't know if he didn't remember, and he was pitching, like, we should use Yaucha because he didn't remember, it and it was in the book, or if it was his way of kind of politely be, like backtracking it and being like, all right, we should call them Yaucha in the thing, and mm. pointing to the book and go, like, look, they do it in here, we should do it in the movie. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It was so sweet. I loved it. I was like, "This is. I love you, man. You're so. This is great.
1: This is great." It was
2: like
3: bumbling, almost like comedic, but but (laughs) good-hearted.
2: Yeah, and that's. But that's kind of the thing I liked about the development process is because they kind of didn't know. They really. They didn't have an ego about it. They let. Mm -hmm. They left it to Mm -hmm. Eric and I. Of Mm -hmm. what is the best way Mm -hmm. forward? What's the best way to deal with Japan? What's the best this, that, and the other? For this era of the conversation, mm-hmm. that will for change. For this part, for this, yeah. For, part for this one. part, they really, they leaned on Eric's expertise. They were very respectful to him. They usually demurred to whatever he said was like, look, man, these are the lessons I learned on these three different productions in Japan. If we go down this road, it'll lead to X, Y, and Z problem. They nine times out of 10 would listen to him and be like, great. Um. That stopped and they at a trusted certain
3: they also trusted Dave's understanding of the lore, his mastery of the comics, you know, his representation of what the fans would want, you know, and what what is the you know the key tenets of the franchise to bring to the table. So, again, very respectful on on the entire part of part part one.
0: Hmm. And given that this was kind of a. a you know adaptation of the dark horse did you guys have conversations with dark horse or with randy stradley specifically or was the sense that like fox owns all this stuff so it is you know we're good
2: yeah i would have liked to have but the thing is like it we politically we could not bring him in at the phase in which things got we it. Were talking about right if, right right if things had gone on the trajectory that would i would have liked to see yes i would 100 have wanted both of those guys involved mm-hmm. uh but it didn't <laughs> Got it. Yeah. you'll see pretty quickly okay. it, it just didn't um, I mean I
3: think if I were to kind of look back and 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 you know with 2020 hindsight had we chosen kind of like a um you know a Castlevania style of production methodology where it was essentially you know what I call cowboy anime where you're having a bunch of Westerners do the anime look but no creative center being in Japan and then shipping to Korea It could have been animated and done exactly as we had written. Mm. It probably would have gone straight script, board, you know, animation production and been out. And it would have been exactly as we conceded.
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: Do you happen to know if at any stage of this process, Randy or Chris became aware that their work was being adapted? Or uh, have you ever heard any word on that? Dave? I don't remember. I I missed missed the entire
2: last part of that question. What was the last part? Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Ryan, do you want to?
1: Oh, just that, uh, have you ever heard of uh, uh, any uh, word that Randy or Chris became aware that their work was potentially going to be adapted into uh, a feature or a television uh, series? Let's put, it, or that it, let's put it
2: this way. I told my editor at Dark Horse that this was happening while I was doing projects there <laughs> because selfishly, I was like, bro, let me write some of these fucking Predator comics. <laughs> like, you know, especially during that era, look, there were there are great, Predator comics and great alien comics from every era of Dark Horse. I love them all. But the specific era that we're talking about, there was some that I didn't think were particularly great. And also, I'm a huge fan. So I was like, bro, let me fucking in there. Let's do this. And so my understanding is that that was relayed to him. But I've never talked to Randy. And he retired not too long after this. Yeah.
0: But that's uh, that's really interesting. So, like, I guess, I mean, we've heard a little bit about the human aspect, but what was kind of your guys' pitch or, or early thoughts about, like, the actual aliens and predator part of the equation?
2: I mean, for me, I wanted, I in this era of the project, I was like, we should explore more about Yaucha Prime, because that's, like, there's been however many movies eight movies seven movies whatever and we've never gone there we've only we've only maybe seen it once which is like they could easily retcon that that one shot in avpr to just not be yautra prime and in fact i think they have now i think it's supposed to be like an out station or whatever um i was like let's do that let's build more actual hard continuity about the books in from the books into the show to build backstory for them uh, even if it becomes decanonized, like at least it's something. The weird thing about the Predator as, a, as an antagonist is that they never get developed and they don't even really have characters anymore. Like the last like four Predator movies, what are like definitive things about the Hunter that are specific? Nothing. They they don't even they've, they've also just completely abandoned the like recording, mimicking, learning languages thing from the first movie and the second movie, which it seems it seems really weird that this guy can learn to speak English and we never use it in any of the, or these guys and we never use it. So that was one of the things we had talked about was exploring more backstory with them. Um, the alien stuff we were planning was more kind of visual. We were just really excited about doing big animated alien and alien queen set pieces. Um, mostly because their backstory has been very thoroughly
1: explored. Um,
3: and vehicles and ships for merchandise. I think that was part of the conversation as well, if I remember. yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting in terms of, if I'm hearing you right, the intent at this stage of the process was to basically set these films directly in the current continuity. like to link it up with the uh, existing novels and comics to sort of form a larger... Yeah,
2: the. I think there was two versions of it. There was one version where it was like, we're setting it right now and we're going to do tie-in comics and tie-in novelizations at the time. And then there was one version where it was like in the distant future where we were going to be away from whatever continuity was happening. Um, And I think after that switch over, I think it then kind of permanently stayed in the future. The various versions of it stayed way in the future. Um, And when the Japanese side got involved and it it definitely stayed there and and
0: evolved quite a bit. Shall we move on to part two? Let's, uh yeah, let's do that. Let's go on. So uh, that, I guess that, so part one, if you could like help solidify for the listeners, like what, what is part one, when does part one end and part two kind of begin for you? We guys? wrote, I don't remember if we wrote
2: all 10 episodes, but we wrote a good we had outlines for everything, a Bible. Very comprehensive
3: outlines, right. Mm-hmm. And I character think character we descriptions. had yeah. five scripts, four, three, four scripts. Do you remember? Did we get that far? I thought we only got into extended outlines. We, we probably wrote a few scripts, hmm. but it was a comprehensive series arc. I'm not sure how many like actual episodes we got to script, but we were pretty deep in. I'm
2: I'm pretty sure we at least had one or no, it was definitely more than that, because I remember going to your old apartment and we were working. It was back when the main character was called Colt. And I remember I had written like 17 or 18 pages of that that script, I think for episode three. And then we Mm -hmm. uh, rewrote it at your apartment. Um, Mm
3: -hmm. I remember now. Yeah, the new apartment.
2: The new apartment yes the new apartment yes yeah that's honestly that's how my my brain works is like okay where were
3: we in which of eric's
1: apartments were we when we were writing this?
3: that's the glorious life of the avp anime team. yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: amazing so five or six scripts were written and then uh what happens when when does it become part two like
3: so um it's it's told to us that we are gonna be using a Japanese production team, we're gonna be using a Japanese anime director. And I, I had all my experience working there, so I was I was relatively ready for it. Um, I knew there was gonna be a lot of collaboration, there's gonna be a lot of um, power struggles and politics and a lot of misunderstanding. That's just the way it goes, you know. And so they they send Dave and I to a flight to Japan and, you know, we have kind of this big introduction and, and meeting and, you know, my memory of it was that the time in japan was you know very muted in a sense that you know we were presenting we were showing back and forth we were you know having a meal or two we were we were doing the thing and then we were establishing the first connections of some of the writers and or producer and director right so we come back right and if dave tell me if i am doing this wrong we kind of get this massive bit of news which is you know the director saying um we would prefer to do our own story from scratch, right? Oh boy! <laughs> and and I'm and we're both like, what? And we, you know, we are dutiful hired talent who has been given a very specific, you know, goal, which is please adapt the Dark Horse comics. That was our stated mission, right? I mean, if you had let us go, we would have done a bunch of different stuff. But that's what we were told to do. That's what we did. And you know, the Japanese director made this big thing of saying, "Hey, listen, we want to." Um, uh, write our own story and also you know the japanese director would like to be the writer of that story you know oh. so i started waving this red flag <laughs> just like yo stop stop like red alert you know cuz my understanding of working the japanese process is number 1 the vast majority of all the product most directors do is adapted from a manga so and then if you look at the power structure of Japanese anime, it's really flipped, where the director is number one, and underneath that is the franchise, underneath that is the character designer, then there's a production company, and then at the very, very bottom is the writer. And the writer is really just an admin position to take the director's vision and broad strokes and kind of lay it out in sequential order, right? So most directors, therefore, don't write. They don't write very well. They don't, um, it's not part of their craft. What they're mostly talented at is actually drawing the main character on model, They're not even timing directors in that sense, because the board or a Conte is done by a divided team. The director is the one who tracks the main character's look. And in this case, the director was actually a very celebrated mech designer. Mm-hmm. So that director was actually further down the technical pipeline of being known for being a mechanical designer and executor in, in 3D. So I was like, this is a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea but you know the uh, the executive was like well you know we we need to give them respect respect is a big thing in their culture and and i've just over my time working there that it they will walk over you they will stomp over you and they will just take control of the whole thing if you let them mm. right and i love anime and i love you know the system over there and i love the kind of stuff that comes out on the flip side when you see adaptations of western properties done by japanese anime directors it tends to generally be kind of b minus stuff you know there's not a lot of great stuff coming out of there because their interpretation of what is an adaptation is more about exactly follow the franchise rules mm-hmm. more than it is adding anything to the you know to the product or adding anything to the franchise or to the lore or to you know i mean when i worked on the transformers uh, cycle we used a japanese production company and I was like, great, we're doing a version that's Optimus Prime post the 1986 movie. You know, I wanna put a crack in a shield, but I wanna use the original 80s design, you know, that kind of blocky, simple thing. And the director said, great, we need 30 poses of Optimus seen from every possible angle before the director can begin storyboarding. And I'm like, don't you guys know what Optimus looks like? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it must be approved by Hasbro. We will not use the internet to search. Because those could be deviant art or, or fan art. Mm. Um, I need front view, side view, three-quarter view, top view, orthographics, actual... And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I literally had to hire a Transformers uh, artist from Italy who did the comics to do these like 30 drawings. And Hasbro was like, no, I want to see their version of it. They said they refuse. They don't want to do an interpretation. It has to be exactly as you approve. So that was, you know, at least our first experience. And then very quickly the power dynamic just slipped away from us
0: oh wow. right yeah interesting
3: and what yeah. happened was we discovered the director basically wanted to do all the scenes that he loved from aliens just kind of in another screenplay would that be accurate dave
2: <laughs> yeah i mean they there was a lot of discussions back and forth because it there was like three or four different versions of the Japanese version. So we had our version. We went over there to talk about it. They were like, thanks, mm-hmm. but no thanks. And then very mm-hmm. quickly, everything started shifting where the U.S. the Fox US side was like, this is great guys. We've got them involved. They're gonna collaborate with you guys. We want you guys to make their story better because mm-hmm. frankly, their initial pitch was just insane. It was not an Alien versus Predator thing. The, the initial pitch was <laughs> this is something that Aaron and I talk about to this day. Their initial pitch was we wanted to take place on a deep space freighter where an evil genius named the Game Master
1: <laughs>
2: is trying to assess who is the strongest species in the universe, humans, aliens, or predators. Oh, he puts boy. them all on the ship, and they all fight it out.
3: Yeah, and he's like, <laughs>
1: Incredible.
2: Yeah. It was yeah. like Arcade from the X-Men. It was like they were. he was making an arcade movie. <laughs> like in a white suit. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so initially, Eric and I had a, a very dejected, like, what... <laughs> The hell is happening? Conversation. And all
3: the work we did, the Fox team just rolled over. Oh wow, yeah. interesting. They're like, well, if the Japanese director wants to do it that way, and I'm like, who ever said that we could do an original story? Yeah, like no one even said it was okay.
2: And also, and then- just the fact mm-hmm. that they didn't like alien or predator it was and they said it in the meeting like the director literally said i don't think i've ever seen predator but i'm a big james cameron aliens fan oh
0: boy
3: right they'd seen one piece of the franchise right Mm. and then which which i thought was very clever and i will give it to the japanese team for doing this they made a really excellent power move which is fox home video japan was the pre-ordained distributor of the product right but they saw this possibility that this product could be a more elevated sales internationally, of which they would get a percentage. So they instantly requested to finance the entire thing. Oh, wow. And in financing the entire thing demanded control, Yeah. right? And I said, guys, what you're doing is, I mean, this is pennies we're talking about from Fox's perspective. If you're looking at like maybe 10 episodes at the budget they're doing, it's probably about $4 million, you know? You're giving up $4 million for creative ownership of these franchises to a director and team who's only seen one movie in all the melee of all the product. And they're like, well, they want to co-finance. I'm like, dude, you don't... money was not their problem at the time. Like yeah. they had plenty of money to, they could have paid double or triple that. Yeah. But they That's... thought, oh, Fox Japan's gonna try. And Dave and I went out to dinner with, like I kid you not, like 13 Fox Home Video executives who would just sit there and go like, we've never done this before. We've never, <laughs> we mostly just, you know, receive the final product and do marketing, but like, we're so excited to meet some Americans on this. And wow. yeah, and like, James it, Cameron. Yeah,
2: <laughs> James Cameron, bro. James Cameron. It was so yeah, funny because, yeah. look, it, the best part of like, I know I've, you know, since the news broke online that this is a thing, I've had some people from comics reach out to me and be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize this was a thing for you. How tragic you're all this work. Yeah, to a certain degree, but also the experience of going to Japan with one of my best friends and having this fucking bizarre meeting. <laughs> we're sitting in a room and like every other thing one of us says there's like four guys writing down "Mm, mm, mm." it was so (laughs) it was so weird like one of the things that was a big contention point was the age of the protagonist right because they wanted to pivot machiko into being definitely not ripley from alien but they wanted to age her down because the japanese audience wouldn't accept an older protagonist
3: Mm. so that's right
2: they wanted like 14-year-old Ripley is the main character oh boy and we were like and
3: I kid when I kid you not with with giant boobs and a baby face
0: yeah of course of course of course yeah (laughs) Yeah. and And so like
2: like, oh
1: my god
0: we're sitting
2: there going like no no you don't understand like the aesthetic of the aliens world is like working class so she at least has to be 18 because the whole thing is they're like truckers in space or like military grunts in Mm -hmm. space like it's like Mm -hmm. you know working Mm -hmm. blue collar jobs but in space you know yeah um, and they
3: refused to accept that blue-collar characters would be appealing to the Japanese audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: you know? And so, like, if I can cut to one of the hilarious things. So, we, you know, as we were working, working, they, they started to slowly, I feel like, educate them on them. So, you know, when we started seeing some of the new product coming out, I was like, oh, it's, it's a military team, like, copy-pasted from aliens on a transportation ship going to point A to point B. But the hilarious thing, they got the fatigues, You know they're hanging out in their locker rooms, like lifting dumbbells and doing stuff that they they imagine blue collar people do. (laughs) But then this beautiful pop star hair,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah, he's
3: like perfectly coiffed angles and these handsome silhouettes. And I was like, that's your idea of like a blue collar. (laughs) It looks like it looks like a K-pop star band put on fatigues for a music video.
0: No, yeah, it
2: was it was also interesting communicating like franchise stuff to them because it was like because at a certain point. We we started passing outlines back and forth, which was just a nightmare because not only was it nightmare because they obviously didn't want to hang out with us, but it was a nightmare because it wasn't like we were actually collaborating with one person. It was being written in Japanese, translated into English by another person. Mm -hmm. Then we were rewriting it and then having our translator translate it back into Japanese and then they were reading it. So there's like a loop of like four people all hopefully keeping the same syntax and meaning and like. You know, one of the things that Eric was big on trying to communicate to them is like, aliens are kind of like insects. Predators are kind of like bears. Like, there's only one or two of them. Like, we can't because there was at one version where there was like an army of predators, and it's like, no, 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 that's not really. That breaks the really, brand. That yeah, it breaks yeah, the yeah. brand. It's not what it is. It should be like a mm-hmm. couple of them. And mm-hmm. um, and then there was a scene where in the third act of the story, our main predator that we've been following cuts his dreadlocks off and commits seppuku, which mm-hmm. also like. <laughs> that's part of their anatomy. It's not yeah, hair. Yeah, those yeah. Are, those, yeah, those right. things are yeah. like literally like fingernails mm-hmm. or yeah. something. Like they mm-hmm. they they bleed when those things get cut. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. they were just like, what?
3: They're not samurai. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> and I remember a shot where we got an animatic back, and there was like a, a an alien reveal, right? And so this box full of this alien just stands up and starts to lumber towards oh, the yeah. main character like the zombie, and you know it's kind of like you know, <laughs> and we're like, it's not frankenstein <laughs> yeah you know, like it was a, yeah but it's oh, all mocap yeah. too so that's why I'm...
2: yeah but like that's but that's a good point though because so much of the alien dna is you know the original actor from the first movie and then tom woodruff jr and a bunch of the sequels like you know they all have a specific almost elegant kind of sensual movement to them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in a lot of the early mocap stuff that's it it was very like operatic in this silly kind of like arched
3: back like
2: we yeah. are
0: aliens now, <laughs> lumbering like dan- game. Dan-
3: dancer, mocap people who don't know the franchise. Yeah, um, again, totally. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to hit pause right there on our conversation with Eric Calderon and Dave Baker about their Alien vs. Predator anime. Hope you'll join us again for part two of our conversation next time. We want to thank everyone at Electric Entertainment, including our sound engineer, Bill Ritter, and executive producer, Dean Devlin. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at TV on Twitter, Instagram, and NeverMadeTV.com. Until next time, for Ryan Matsunaga and myself, Peter Holmstrom, thanks very much for being here. Your broadcast day is at an end.